The reading this morning is taken from Galatians, starting in chapter 3 and verse 23, and I'll be reading through to chapter 4, verse 7. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This is the word of God. Late. For some of us, there is nothing worse than being late. For others, running late is a way of life. And no matter how hard you try, you (laughs) have to accept, or you probably have accepted, that running late... Uh, or arriving on time just seems to be too hard. We live in a culture that is very much driven and ruled by the clock. We make our plans and appointments and structure our weeks all based on time. The clock is, uh, in, other, in other cultures, the clock is not such a central tool of organisation. But certainly in Western society, Uh, And even I know for myself, the clock is so important to how I orientate my time and structure my week. Most of us know about working under the constant strain of deadlines, especially when an important event is involved, whether it be uh, through your work or maybe personal life. We all have timetables that we follow. But I wonder if we've ever considered that God, in fact, has a timetable. Sometimes our timetables and God's timetable uh, coincide and connect, uh, but often they don't. God's timing is different to our timing. 
You know, we want God to act right now, when in His wisdom, He will often choose to delay for our good. But my friends, it is absolutely true that God is never early. God is never late. God is always right on time. It may not be in our time, but it is always in His time. And God's timing is perfect. Christmas reminds us that Jesus came to earth at just the right time. In Galatians 4, verse 4, we are told that, but when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son. Isn't that an amazing statement? Have you ever considered that there was a perfect time in all of human history when God chose to send His Son? It wasn't just a random coincidence that God sent His Son, Jesus, when He did. There were so many reasons as to why God sent Jesus when He did. This morning we're going to consider some of those. And I believe that this is a message that can be so relevant and important for us today. Because there are many of us who may feel as though we are waiting on God's timing. Maybe we feel as though God needs to come up to speed with where things are at for us. Maybe we feel there's a sense that God is perhaps lagging a little bit behind. But my hope and and anticipation and encouragement for you this morning from what we're looking at, is that God's timing is always perfect. And therefore, God's timing can be trusted entirely. Throughout the Old Testament, there were numerous prophecies concerning the birth of the Messiah. There were prophecies concerning the manner of His birth, that He would be born of a virgin. There were prophecies concerning the place where the Messiah would be born. He would be born in Bethlehem. Between Malachi and Matthew, or what we know as the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was this 400-year period of silence where God didn't speak. There were no new prophecies. And it was as if God was silent, as if God may be dead, that nothing was happening. But in fact, as we look back, we can see that during this lengthy period of time, God was arranging and orchestrating a whole range of political and cultural uh, and religious situations and events and scenarios that would pave the way for the coming of Christ. So how did God prepare the world to receive His Son Jesus? Well, it was very strategic. He conditioned the religious, the cultural and the political climate to arrange the fullness of time. To start with, there was a religious preparation for His coming. Throughout the Old Testament, God had been dealing with His chosen people, Israel. It would be through them that the Messiah would come. But Israel was always straying away from God. They were following other gods. Their eyes would move away from God and their eyes and hearts would be turned to gods of other nations and idols. And over and over again, God judged Israel for their idolatry. 
finally, the culmination of this judgment resulted in the Babylonian exile. And it was during this time where they were taken from their homeland and taken to another country. And one of the interesting things that happened during the Babylonian captivity was that after that time, the Jewish people became a monotheistic people, a people who worshipped one true God, which is always what they were intended to do. During this time of exile, the Jews were delivered from following after other idols of pagan nations around them. A second important effect of the captivity upon the Jewish nation was that the canon of Old Testament Scripture was gathered together under the priest Ezra. So for the first time, the entire body of Old Testament literature, now known as the Jewish Bible, and the Christian Old Testament was assembled together in a single volume, thus paving the way for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be preached. A third major effect that transpired during the Babylonian captivity was that the Jewish synagogue came into being. Until that time uh, that the Jews were exiled from their homeland, they worshipped exclusively in the temple, which may be a little bit like a grand cathedral, kind of this one central place where all Jewish people would gather to worship God. But after the Babylonian exile, the synagogue started to come into place. And the synagogue was a smaller gathering of collective communities of faith. In fact, that is actually where the local church concept comes from, the synagogue concept. And the synagogue, rather than being this one central place that the temple was, there were multiple synagogues, just as there are multiple local church congregations of followers of Jesus gathering together for worship, for teaching, and for fellowship. So in all of these things, we see that God was preparing himself and preparing his people for the coming of Christ. So not only was there a religious preparation taking place, but there was also a cultural preparation for his coming. In 350 BC, Alexander the Great, son of the Macedonian king Philip, conquered the entire known world in 12 years. And because of Alexander's influence, the world became Greek, predominantly Greek in culture, philosophy, institution, art, drama, literature, architecture, thought, and language. Greek was spread to such an extent that all people became very familiar with what is known as Koine Greek. Koine meaning common. It was a common language that all the people began to share. And this shared Greek language made it possible for Paul and others to travel afar and to share the good news of Christ without language barriers. This is very important because in 280 BC, the Hebrew scriptures were translated into Greek, which is known as the Septuagint. And the the Old Testament scriptures had been gathered and translated into the common language. And this set the stage for the preaching of the gospel. Finally, there was a political preparation for his coming. We've all heard the term, all roads lead to Rome. Well, in 63 BC, the Romans conquered the Greeks, and in doing so, they built roads that would link the entire Roman Empire. This would allow messengers to travel safely with new ideas, as Paul and the missionaries would do. Ships had also come of age. 
Egypt and Italy, Syria and Spain, so many nations shared the highway that the Mediterranean Sea had become. Here was yet another means for the gospel message of Christ to go forward, to move, to progress. In addition, the Roman government also suppressed open criminal acts, creating a reliable postal system and instituted the Pax Romana, which means Roman peace. This was the longest period of peace that Rome had known, established by Caesar Augustus for a period of at least 200 years. God had a hand in who would ascend to power in the Roman Empire. At the coming of Christ, Caesar Augustus was in the seat of power. Little did he know that when he called for a census, he was in fact doing God's will. Because of his decree requiring all people to return to their place of origin and be counted, a pregnant woman and her husband made a historic journey to Bethlehem. Mary, the mother of God, uh, Jesus, was guided by the sovereignty of God to the place prophesi- prophesied in the Old Testament where Christ would be born. Galatians 4.4 4 tells us that Jesus came born of a woman, the Virgin Mary, at just the right time. In summary, God's blueprint for the birth of Christ involved the right religious climate, the Jewish worship of one true God, the compiling of the Old Testament under Ezra the priest, and the establishment of the commonplace or the, the communal place of worship being the synagogue. The right cultural climate, the common Greek language, a universal language coin, the translation of the Hebrew scriptures into the Greek, making them accessible for people, and the political climate, the road system, the postal system, the Pax Romana, and Caesar Augustus in power. Now, all of this preparation had a very clear purpose, as stated in verse 5 of our reading, to redeem those under law that we might receive adoption to sonship. God had a great purpose for Christ's coming. He had planned the coming of Christ before the earth began. It wasn't plan B. It wasn't an afterthought. Now the time was right and our God came. He came first of all to redeem us. Prior to Christ's coming, humankind was in slavery. We were under the law, but we could not keep the law. So we stood condemned by our own inadequacy. Our own works, our own efforts testify to the fact that we can never be righteous in and of ourselves. No matter how hard God's people tried in times gone past, and as you and I know, no matter how hard God's people try to uphold the law, to walk in the righteous ways of God, we fall short time and time again. So Jesus came. He took our brokenness and our humanity and our sinfulness and he died on the cross in our place. Because of that death, we were forgiven. We were cleansed. We were set free from the law of sin and death. Jesus came to redeem us. Christ is our redeemer. Scripture teaches that unless our righteousness is perfect, we have no hope of inheriting the kingdom of God. 
if we keep the law to the very best of our ability and only stumble on one law that we cannot keep, we are guilty of breaking all the law and will be condemned accordingly. Any sin, all sin is repulsive in the eyes of a completely holy God. And were it not for the inherited righteousness of Jesus Christ, which we receive when we accept him as Lord and Saviour, we would all stand guilty and condemned before God. But because of Christ, we can stand in perfect righteousness, not our own righteousness, but his righteousness, which he gives to us, and therefore we are not condemned. And the offer still stands today. We have one of two choices. Either we can choose to live our lives in our own strength, in our own power, trying to make ends meet ourselves, trying to be good people and somehow justify ourselves before a holy God. It's amazing how many people think that being a good person will get them to heaven. Sadly, nothing could be further from the truth. There is only one good person. And unless your faith and your trust is in that one good person, then we will not be able to enter eternity with Christ. So Christ not only came to redeem us, but he also came to adopt us. And we read in verse 6, And because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father, now you who are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. The good news is, when we put our trust in Christ, we become children of God. When we come to Christ, we are placed into God's family by Christ's act. He came not only to forgive our sins, he came to welcome us to receive us into his family. Under Roman law, an adopted child was guaranteed all legal rights of his father's property, even if he was formerly a slave. He was not a second-class son. Uh, he was equal to all the father's other sons, biological or adopted in his father's family. Now, I'm using that illustration because back then it did specifically to apply to the male. But, of course, in God's economy, we are sons and daughters. And sons and daughters, men and women, inherit the full righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are not second-class sons or daughters. We are co-heirs with Christ. We have been adopted into God's family. And as God's heirs, we can claim what he has provided for us, full identity as his children. There is no division between the biological child and the adopted child in God's economy. It is as if you and I are true sons and daughters of God himself. Amen for that. Christ came to fulfill his plan for the world. He came to save us. He came to redeem us. And he came to adopt us. God's timing for Christ to come was perfect. 
If you have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you are a child of God. If you are a child of God, then He cares intimately for you and the details of your life. God will work in your life at just the right time. Those of us who have the privilege of having children, whether young or old, know that your heart as a parent is to love your child and to give them the very best that you can as a parent. My friends, that is God's heart for those who are his children. Trust him in your situation, whatever it may be, and rest in his perfect timing, knowing that he is a good God, he is a good, good father, and he does all things well. I love this statement I came across this week. Joseph waited 13 years. Abraham waited 25 years. Moses waited 40 years. Jesus waited 30 years. If God is making you wait, well, you're in good company. Almost 2,000 years ago, there came a night when the fullness of time had come. The plan of God through the ages was beginning to unfold. Angels would announce to some shepherds on a hillside, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Unable to contain heaven's joy any longer, the angels would explode with a jubilant cry of celebration. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. The fullness had come for the first coming of Christ. And you want to know the best part? He's coming again. <laughs> He's coming again. And his timing when he comes again will be just as perfect as when his first advent was. If you place your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, he came to redeem you. He came to adopt you. You are God's child in God's family. You can trust him as your loving parent. He does all things well. And he will come and redeem all who put their faith in him. He will come again in the fullness of time. All praise and glory to you, Lord God, for sending your son, Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this time of year, Lord, where we get to share the story and remember that you, Lord, came and you still continue to come today. You come to the brokenhearted and bring a message of hope. You come to those who are at war with swords and you bring a message of peace. You come to those who are in conflict and you bring resolution. You come to those who have hearts full of hatred and you bring love. You come to a world full of darkness and you bring light. You are the God who comes. And we celebrate that fact. And we thank you that you came, Lord God, to redeem us and to adopt us into your family. We thank you that you have called and chosen us as your children. May we not doubt or question your timing, but know that your timing is always perfect 
for you do all things well. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Glory to God.